I just had a lovely visit at Slava Harasimovic studio here in Ramsgate. It's a beautiful seaside where she decided to uh, have her home and she works in a studio inside her house. She works with a, a variety of different medias. She's very much interested in history and her own family history. Here's what I think work. Also we need space to move around and go outside and think again. So yeah, so here's actually where I try to put some order through the scales. So it's not particularly fascinating anything. I mean the drawer is full of things. So as you know, I try to meet artists in the studios and today I'm, I'm visiting you in your studio here at your home in Ramsgate. I know that you've moved from London recently um, and wanted to find out what brought you here to Ramsgate. I think maybe the sort of uh, need for space really, a need for fresher air. <laughs> uh, I had lived in London for almost 20 years, I moved there when I was quite young actually. And I found myself, you know, sort of pushed out towards the outskirts gradually more and more as the prices in London went up. Here, I'm not actually unique. There is a big wave of artists moving to this area, Ramsgate and Margate and East Kent. So, uh, yeah, I took a plunge and moved here. I don't really regret it as of yet. <laughs> what is the nature of your work? I say I'm a visual artist. I work with images. So what does that mean? <laughs> so, um, it is quite a tricky question, in fact, because... Um, my practice has really evolved uh, quite a lot um, over the past few years and uh, I started off as an illustrator in fact, so I worked quite a lot with images and words, you could say, and relationships between them and uh, producing images that would then end up as in a sort of you know publication or something like that. But generally it's visual art, I'll say, is working with images and whatever that means. Sometimes I work with others. I really try to explore ambiguity in my work and I think it's essential to you know to not um, you know to not show black or white sides of anything. Um, I'm interested in the obscure. What kind of medium do you what's, what's your preference? You know it's a translation across a range of media. Um, I used to be quite obsessed with um, found images, found photos which I would then draw and turn into screen print. So I quite like that um, dynamic, you know, from the found printed image, hand drawing process, and then back to screen printing, which is kind of like returning the image to a mass-produced kind of domain. I would never say it's drawing, for example, <laughs> because I don't produce drawings, but I use drawing to make those images which are in between. And um, I recently started making quite a lot more work with moving image and I really enjoy it. So I will definitely carry on in that direction. Kind of a combination of found image, found footage and animation. I make installations. They often respond to sites where they actually are. So what is your background as an artist? I didn't study art in Poland. I studied English philology. And then I found myself, you know, in Poland, in Krakow in the 90s, facing a future as an English teacher that was totally scary to me. I had to do something about it. And, you know, Poland in the 90s was quite an um, ugly place in a way. It was rapidly commercializing. So, I mean, I had to just get out. I so I got out <laughs> to London, which was my dream town uh, since childhood, really. And 
Um, I spent two years in London in a kind of limbo, but lived in Camden, it was the 90s, there was a lot of music, I met lots of people. I enjoyed it and then actually I won a small competition for a part-time job at the BBC World Service, Polish section. I thoroughly enjoyed this, I worked with sound, you know, cutting tape with sort of um, razor blades and doing things like that. So, and then I finally was able to study. I wanted to be able to support myself, so I was quite practical at that point. I knew I needed to study something which would, you know, hypothetically give me a chance of employment and illustration and visual communication seems to be those courses which would promise that. And then I went to study similar uh, subjects at MA level at the Royal College of Art. I spent the two years effectively experimenting with screen printing. <laughs> when did you notice that your kind of choice of mediums changed? A couple of years immediately after graduating from the Royal College, I worked as an illustrator and I was quite successful actually. But I found it increasingly frustrating, <laughs> I have to say. I invest quite a lot emotionally in my work, as all artists do. And it just, it's that sense of, you know, spending lots of time on something which has only a fleeting presence as a magazine illustration. It's just, it just didn't make any sense and it was not enough. And, you know, I think about three years after finishing the MA at the Royal College, I sort of started making my own work. You made the uh, illustrations um, for the book by Richard Apinanesi, mm -hmm. The Wolfman. Yeah. Would you like to tell me a bit more about this project? I was approached by Emma Haley, the director of the publisher Self-Made Hero, and she was then thinking about this new series which would be called Graphic Freud. And the series translates key patients' uh, case studies that he wrote down, um, I think there are about 10 of them, and uh, you know, and it was the idea was to translate them as graphic novels, which have not, has not been done before. And she asked me which ones I would like to work with. There was no text at first, it was just Freud's text, which is essentially, uh, you know, it's a book on its, in its own writes, it's quite interesting. Freud's uh, writing is actually really quite literary in a way, so I totally recommend it. But the visuals were, I mean, the whole imagery, the iconography of the story was amazing. So, you know, we have kind of pre-revolutionary Russia, post-revolutionary Russia, uh, Vienna in the 30s. His kind of nightmare uh, dream of the wolves on the tree that kind of, um, so to say, persecutes him for the rest of his life. and and Freud trying to decode this, decode this dream into actually its, its actual meaning and what, because according to Freud this was a so-called screen memory, so a memory that covers up an actual event that happened and the boy, the wolfman as a boy witnessed and to which then came back to him as, a, as that nightmare dream. So it's, it's really interesting, it's, very, uh, it's a very kind of open case, even Freud himself admitted that it was unresolved it's just like a kind of uh, messy <laughs> analytical case, messy psychoanalysis. Uh, but I thought it was interesting and, uh, and I wanted to draw a lot of wolves as well. <laughs> so I took that on and it was actually fascinating and it, proven, it proved to be much more difficult than I thought. It's a little bit mm -hmm. like a comic, uh, I had never worked with a comic before. Uh, at that point I had usually worked with collage. Each page would take me ages. This book, in a way, is super important for me. It's a very, very important project, but it's, it's somehow in between what I would ideally like to have done and what it is. So it is uh, not quite an artist book. It is not quite a graphic novel. I know that actually this book gained some critical mm -hmm. um, 
attention. In yeah. fact, you said that it was quite independent project, mm-hmm. but in a in a way it was very successful. You had your collaboration with the Freud Museum, yeah. about which I'll ask next. But also I saw um, there was a video made by The Guardian. How did that collaboration with the Freud Museum start? I think for me the book itself was just not enough for this project. The format of the book somehow um, indicates a closed um, story, you know, it's, it's, it's framing something. I really wanted to work with Freud Museum as well, personally. So I arranged a meeting with the Freud Museum director. Carol Seigel, and she was interested in working with me, both in on the basis of the book and on the basis of I think one screen print I had at the time. <laughs> and we discussed possible, you know, time slots, and they were crazy. They were just uh, in about in approximately two months' time from the meeting. I still went ahead with it. I didn't want to wait. I wanted to make this exhibition, so so we went ahead, and I invited Sarah Jury to curate with me to help me curate it basically. And we did it, even though we produced an exhibition just over a month. There was an exhibition, there was a performance. I managed to um, exhibit in Freud's old bedroom, which was fantastic. The final bedroom, where he might have had dreams as well. So I brought all this material, which was essentially a ton of drawings, <laughs> loose bits of pieces of paper, hundreds of them. As you look at the book, absolutely Quite a lot of that material is, I mean, most of it is drawn separately. Backgrounds, textures, everything is hand-drawn or painted and then put together. So I just have boxes upon boxes of that stuff and I wanted to bring it back to Freud, <laughs> literally, to show it to him. So um, so the whole exhibition was just like a kind of an excavation of a psychoanalytical process, an attempt to look back at the story, to open it up, to look back at my own process, which is it's sort of like an archaeology, and the analysis is, is, is an archaeology itself, you know, it's digging through layers. So that's what we did, I think, at the museum. And I think that project was extremely important for me because it's really when I started to, you know, expand into an exhibition, exhibition context, so an installation in particular. So do, would you like to tell me uh, a bit more about that aspect? So how did your artistic kind of development go from then on? Well, by then I was I had been obsessing about a handful of photos I found in Krakow at the public library. But what I didn't expect to find at all were uh, family photos that were displayed in a sort of side room, just like, um, you know, Abby Warburg uh, <laughs> vertical display cabinets. And uh, it was quite incredible because I had never seen those pictures before, ever. There were people that I just didn't know at all. I mean, I had not seen those faces before. And they were my grandfathers, my grandfather, my great-grandmother, etc. Um, I think the whole family album had been shattered by the war. <laughs> and I mean it metaphorically as well as literally. You know, So those pictures might have been collated by the librarians from various sources. And it was a revelation for me because suddenly there were these people, you know, looking back at me f- through the glass. And I looked at them through the glass as well. And I stole those pictures. <laughs> I just took pictures, uh, seeing myself mm-hmm. as a reflection as well, imposing myself as a reflection on them. And I just felt like I really, really needed to know more about them, who they were. Uh, because my family were, as it, as it turned out, they had been quite heavily affected by war. You know, as many families in Poland had been. So that's nothing unusual, but um, there was more kind of a visual attraction as well. There were two or three images in particular that I became completely obsessed with, absolutely obsessed. 
and they were, um, it was a small series of my uh, grandmother and grandfather's skiing in the 30s somewhere. They just looked super glamorous, beautiful, happy, young, <laughs> just like people from a film. It was like a film, a series of film stills. And, you know, I just wanted to, to be part of that scene, in a way, retrospectively. <laughs> and I really, really tried to zoom in on those faces and um, see them properly. And I couldn't. The more I zoomed in, the more blurred they became. So, um, yeah, I made a series of works, actually, that was effectively exploring, so to speak, one or two pictures. And the more I found out, the more, in a way, um, I felt like I wanted to make work with that, those contexts. And, the more it took me into history, really. <laughs> so, uh, collective history, and that was quite strange and quite difficult in a way, because the first reaction to the images was very um, aesthetic in a way, very visual, very emotional, but kind of visual. History opens up, it kind of releases you from the sort of strictly personal and strictly biographical kind of route, which is good. Um, and then the tension comes in, which is also interesting, between you know, the private and the public. So how come it's my family, and how come it's the same history as lots and lots of other families? I don't really like history that much, you know, it annoys me. <laughs> so the project is kind of about the resistance to all that as well, and how to show it. It's both finding out about my family history, so it's a personal thing, but that's not necessarily something I need to show as a project. But what I'm trying to show is the process, you know, of, is the process of this push and pull between me and history, contemporary identity in the past, at another level, it's about publicizing certain um, historical events that have been forgotten and they should not have been forgotten. So there are quite a few layers. I made work which was exploring a place, um, something, a place, architectural place, you know, which still exists, stands <laughs> in Krakow. And it was my uh, home in my childhood, early childhood. And also it was, as it turned out, a refugees or repatriates shelter in the 1940s. The very same building, including my family actually, who were also repatriated from the east. Uh, right now it is a dilapidated building in the middle of central Krakow. Really strange, very strong aura of kind of um, being nobody's home really. It's that sense of transience and um, and, and basically the, um, the idea of how one place, a building, can kind of carry memory and at the same time be almost used as a kind of tool for erasure of memory, you know, so I'm interested in that. So the project in Krakow, in Wunkiel, was um, kind of exploring this notion of a move through removal boxes and uh, some of the rules from the escape room. Could you tell me a little bit more about your project that you showed in Birmingham, I think it was in 2016? I was actually working with my maternal family history at that point, and again it was um, uncovering this huge historical context that directly influenced the person in my family that I had not known about, apart from the fact that I knew that my grandfather's brother had died on a ship, on a German ship, as a prisoner of concentration camp. So, um, yeah, I just started digging slightly in archives and found out that it was a massive uh, event which involved over 7,000 prisoners who had been put on those three ships in Lübeck, actually a week before the war actually ended. And as the official story goes, they were bombed by mistake by the RAF. So I was quite annoyed with this, you know, how can you bomb three ships by mistake? It was an investigation immediately after the war, carried out by Major Till, a British officer, and his um, uh, 
clear conclusion, which is in writing in the British National Archive, is that uh, actually the guilty side, apart from the Nazis and the war itself and history, is the RAF intelligence who did not pass the information they had received about who was on the ships. They didn't pass that information to the pilots. So the pilots had been given an order and they thought at that point they were shooting, um, they were killing, shooting German uh, Nazi um, personnel. It's a terrible stop, it's a terrible event, you know, a waste of life basically of people who had survived five years in the camps just to die two or three days before the war actually ended. So, you know, it was, it was brutal, it was carnage, completely um, unjustifiable, really, considering the information was available. So someone somewhere decided not to cancel an order that meant someone somewhere essentially was, you know, guilty of sentencing over 7,000 innocent people to death, including my grandfather's brother, a young man, who was a member of Polish resistance in Krakow and had been arrested and uh, for taking part in those underground activities and was a buddy poet who wanted to be a poet and actually participated in cultural forms of cultural resistance in the camp you know they created radio Warszawa, radio Warsaw. so his section was poetry from the camp as i found out from the archivist in the concentration camp itself i sort of felt like i needed to find a way into that project maybe that's why it was became three exhibitions rather than one um, one was just not enough, and the one in Birmingham specifically at Centrala was, uh, I think it was a representation of the archive. The work was focusing on selected fragments and zooming in on them. Um, I worked with quite a lot of family imagery as well, and I tried to make a film that was like an archival film, but not actually using any of the archives. There aren't any, anyway, <laughs> available. So I tried to work with other material to make, create a sort of standing archival footage of the event, kind of translated through imagination. This project brought you back to the Freud Museum. I wrote a script for performance based on archival material and it was a, sort of like a fake or, or imagined Radio Warsaw broadcast. I knew roughly uh, what the prisoners were talking about when they were performing those uh, fake radio programs, which sections they had, and I basically filled it with further archives so for instance i knew that there were sections for sport sections for humor sections for news from the front very often invented you know uh, and poetry from the camp i think it was a completely clandestine um, operation let's say that took place every week once a week for almost a year i think just right up to the end of the camp so i think they finished around february 1945 mm -hmm. It was performance. Uh, how did you connect it in, like, with your work? What, what have you done about it? Yeah, so in this case I worked with text. So I wrote a script based on archival information about um, the sections that were included in Radio Warszawa. And I also did research in um, arch other archives, let's say, news at the time, such as astronomy, for example, because I knew that prisoners, um, I found out that prisoners also shared knowledge that was part of a sort of counter-activity to kind of maintain human, really, I suppose. So they would um, give lectures to each other. And I wrote that script and then um, with Dominik Czechowski, uh, we basically approached the Freud Museum again <laughs> to stage this performance with a group of artists, actors actually, so sound artists, vocal artists, at Freud Museum 
we were uh, lucky again because we were able to record it in the room which contains Freud's famous couch, you know, Freud's desk. It was quite amazing. It was like we were broadcasting. Um, we were broadcasting something back, I think. It, for me, it was the whole context of the Freud Museum is about archaeology, uncovering something or memory which is suppressed, an emotion which is suppressed. That's why you went back to Freud Museum. Yeah, it was, it was important. It was the right place to do it. At. It was absolutely the right place. And um, It's uh, dealing with trauma. Dealing with trauma, exactly. Dealing with trauma, and historical trauma. Of course, the Freud Museum itself as most of us know, you know, it was uh, Freud's last home, it was his refuge, effectively, when he had to leave Vienna, um, running away from the Nazis. You said you were kind of escaping from them, that history, Polish history, can be very dark sometimes. The UK is, in a way, a perfect place to escape of this art, which is really much um, connected to trauma. Polish art very much deals with trauma. How do you find yourself in this situation of uh, being a Polish artist here in the UK, still thinking about this Polish history? Mm -hmm. Why are you in, still interested in mm -hmm. that? Do you think this trauma still kind of touches you? Yeah, it's a good question because I really, really need to stress that it's not something I've been interested in for all my life. It's just the last few years and it's very strictly uh, led by personal inquiry into my family history. It's not a sort of artistic strategy, it's not a choice, you know, of a subject, let's say. It's just me wanting to find out more about a few pictures that I found in the library. And it led me to this mountain, historical mountain. It's a personal necessity. I just wanted to find out more about those people. A history I had no idea about and it led me to collective history. And it's an awkward situation to be in because it's almost like a compulsion. I had to do it and I'm looking forward to sort of getting out of it in a way. But I think I will always be interested in, and I've always been interested in, the sort of the obscure and the uncanny and the kind of marginal and hidden. And whether it's history or other, you know, and how, why, why things are hidden or, or, or not talked about is, is very often uh, political. I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode of um, my studio visits with Polish artists. And yeah, this time is with uh, Sława Harasimowicz.